Hey there, I'm Charlie Conlon, creator of Knowing My Nightmares. Thanks for supporting the podcast. I hope my nightmares are giving you nightmares. If you are having nightmares, I want to hear them. I'm encouraging everyone to send me your dreams. Email me your terrifying dream dramas at knowingmynightmares at gmail.com, and it could be featured in upcoming episodes. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to tell you about a great podcast. Do you miss old TV shows you watched as a kid? There's a podcast out now dedicated to writing and performing new fake episodes of those shows for you. Let's Write an Episode, hosted by Tommy Oler, brings together writers and actors to create parody episodes of those shows. First, you'll get to hear an audio drama style performance, and in the next installment, you get to listen to Tommy and his team come up with the previous episode's story. Subscribe to Let's Write an Episode today and listen to new fake episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, Boy Meets World, Reba, Miami Vice, and more. Definitely check out that podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. And now it's time for episode eight of Knowing My Nightmares. We've all done something in the past that we regret, and it sticks with us forever. Mistakes we've made and decisions that have caused us grief. These remorseful periods in our lives can haunt our dreams, replaying over and over again in our minds to the point of madness. Losing your mind is a terrible fate, and is something that goes, for the most part, unnoticed for a while gradually taking over your brain little by little, changing the way you think, act, and dream. Researchers have discovered when we sleep during the REM, or rapid eye movement phase of sleep, our brain shuts down the part that allows us to think rationally, which is why our dreams, for the most part, don't make any sense. Some people who struggle with schizophrenia show signs that they are in a state of REM while awake, which is why some people hallucinate and have a hard time distinguishing reality from fiction. Even more interesting, someone with schizophrenia dreams of simple things, calculated things, like a rock on a beach or grass. Then, when they are awake, have a harder time remembering the dream. It's almost as if their subconscious and conscious have traded places. Luckily, there's lots of help, techniques, and medication available for people suffering from schizophrenia, but it was a long road to get to where we are today regarding those afflicted with mental or physical disabilities. I'm Charlie Conlon, and this is the nightmare I had last night. A light mist hung in the countryside air, the night brisk but refreshing. The road I traveled was deserted. There were no cars, people, or even animals. The night was still, like the world was in a deep slumber. It was dark, but the full moon shone through the clouds, lighting the surrounding landscape, reflecting off the damp road. 
Trees and brush lined both sides of the road, with mostly farm fields beyond that. I progressed up the lane for some time until I came to a clearing. In the distance, at the end of a large meadow sat a huge mansion, or campus. A broad sign mounted to a brick wall read, Summer Rose Psychiatric Hospital. There was an unpaved path just beyond a small gate leading to the main grounds. Though I've never walked this trail before, I felt like I've seen this place. I stared at the haunting building in the distance. It felt like it was staring back. The architecture spoke to me. I checked my surroundings, then stepped forwards on the small trail leading to the massive remote building. The trail was darker than the paved road, and still very quiet. The ground was soft. I hiked along the dirt trail until I approached large iron gates. They were opened, but it looked like someone broke the chain that was keeping them locked. I slipped through the opening into the main courtyard. The area was overgrown and unkept, and the cobblestone ground was uneven and damaged. Through the courtyard, past the garden, which is now just weeds and fallen trees, sat the monstrous hospital, seemingly devoid of life. I felt drawn to its presence. What could be inside? I came to the front of the building. Closer now, I could see some windows had been broken, and the front door was smashed in. I stepped up to the agape entrance. The hospital breathed out through the demolished door. It smelled of death. And yet, I was still entranced to explore the building's insides. The moonlight licked my back as I crossed the threshold, stepping inside the Summer Rose Psychiatric Hospital. The smell of the hospital's interior was putrid. The stink hung heavy in the air throughout the lobby and hallways. Despite the dirt caked on all the surfaces and some water damage to the plaster and wood, the building was in okay condition. I walked down a hallway. In an open janitorial closet, I found a long chrome vintage flashlight, and to my surprise, it still worked. I looked around, now with better light. Most of the doors were locked, and the ones that were open were just empty offices with the clean stain from old picture frames on the walls. Surprisingly, there was still a lot of medical equipment around. Old wheelchairs, some beds left in the hallways, and old glass pill bottles with the labels rotted off. I came to a four-way in the hall. Metal signs were mounted above each direction. One way looked like the hallway went on forever, and above the door it said, Ward 3. In another direction, the hallway was blocked, with old medical machinery piled on top of desks and bed frames. Above the door it read, Corrections Ward 2. Suddenly, from behind me I could hear something. At first quiet. Someone was crying. Then it got louder, and louder. Shock dragged through me. Someone is back the way I came. I could hear them shuffling down the hallway in the dark. My heart was in my throat. I turned and ran down the hallway, without a sign over top. My flashlight lit the windowless corridor. It curved around to the left. It was hard to gauge where I was. The crying person was still chasing behind me. I could hear them. I entered a new space that was flooded. Water pooled all around the base of the walls, rotting them from the bottom up. My light reflected off the water. 
much like the moon hitting the road. I paused and listened. The crying had stopped. I couldn't hear anybody. I continued on, when suddenly I stumbled down, the water now up to my knees. In front of me, a door was ajar. I crept up to the thick metal door and shined my light through the opening. At first, it was hard to tell what I was looking at. Then I realized it was the top of someone's head. They had long, stringy hair, but their crown was shaved. A person was lying on a medical table, strange equipment and operating tools all around him. Suddenly, someone charged from behind me. I quickly turned around but was struck in the head hard. I fell into the water and laid there for a moment. I was dizzy and could hardly focus. I looked around. Someone was standing above me in the water. My vision blurred. I couldn't see who it was. Then they raised their hand up, then struck me again. When I awoke, I was in a small, padded room. The area was black as sackcloth. I couldn't see anything. My clothes were soaked and I was freezing. I felt around the room and there was a slit in the door, but the hallway was just as dark. I sat on the wet padded floor, cold. Hey, hey you, you in there? Who is that? I'm in the other cell, like you. It's pretty cozy in here, right? I felt around the room some more and found a pipe in the corner. There was a man in the cell adjacent to mine communicating through it. What's going on? Where am I? Must have done something bad, hmm? Like me. How long do I have to stay in here? Who put me in here? Who knows? I've been here for weeks. <laughs> Maybe months. I have to get out of here. Yeah, it sucks in here. I just leave when I get bored, though. What? How do you leave? I just... do. How? Can you get me out? No. Maybe. No, 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 no. I, I can't. I'll get in trouble. I just want to leave. Hello? My face to the ground, with my ear pressed against the pipe, the man was quiet. Then there was a loud crash at my cell door. I jumped up and the door swung open. My eyes, now better adjusted to the dark, I could see the hallway. I leaned forwards to inspect the outside of the cell. Hey! Whoa. I told you I could get you out. You didn't believe me, but I told you. I, uh... Come on, we've got to get out of this place. I know the way. The man ran ahead, down the hallway, which had barred windows like a prison on one side, and about twelve cell doors on the other side. I was standing in front of my cell. The cell next to me, where the man was, didn't have a door at all. His padded room was empty, like mine. I looked around, but he was nowhere to be seen. I began to slowly walk up the hallway when I could hear someone behind me. I turned around quickly. My name is Marcus, by the way. Marcus Mood. Here, I found your stuff. The man, or Marcus, handed over my flashlight and other belongings. Where did you get this? Like I said, we need to get out of here before it's too late. Hurry, we don't have much time. What do you mean? Marcus! Marcus started running away again. I hurried behind him. He was wearing a hospital gown, but over top of dirty clothes. We exited into a larger room. It looked like a lounge, or possibly for staff. There were a few offices to the sides, still filled with documents. I continued to run, swiftly through the lounge. Marcus and I exited into another hallway. 
it was hard to decipher where on the grounds I was. My head still hurt from the blow I took to the skull. Marcus was already far up the hall. Wait, stop! My yell was louder than I anticipated and echoed through the building. I feared someone else might have heard me. So I ran headlong down the hallway, panicking like someone was behind me. When I came to the end, Marcus was still missing, and above an entryway, the sign said, Corrections Ward. I flashed my light down the hall. I couldn't see Marcus. The hallway itself looked like the rest of the building, but the smell was worse here, like rotting animals, but also sweet. It made my mouth salivate like my body was preparing to puke. I held my hand up to my face to cover my nose, but I could still taste the thick stench. Just then, I could see Marcus standing in the doorway to one of the rooms. Marcus! Oh! Hi! I approached the door he was standing in, and my eyes began to water. A sour draft billowed out. He seemed unfazed by it. I shined my light into the room, and there was a human torso on the table. Human anatomy diagrams hung all over the room. My god, it's horrible. Who is this? Where's their head? Where are their limbs? Marcus, we have to leave now. Yes, this isn't good. Marcus shoved past me. I followed behind Marcus, but stopped to see that the rest of the doors within this hallway were open. I passed the next room. There was a head on a wooden pike with a large magnifying glass and metal instruments stuck within the brain of the head. The next room had a man on a chair with two spikes drilled through his ears. I stood for a moment and stared at his face. He was looking straight ahead at me. And gradually the man's mouth began to open. Then his eyes adjusted and met mine, and the man began to make a noise. Petrified, I ran ran down the corridor. Each room I passed was filled with atrocious experiments. Once again, Marcus was gone. I reached the end of the hall and looked back. From one of the rooms, a woman stepped out wearing a hospital gown. Wires were attached to her temples and needles were inserted into her arms. Behind her, a man walked out from another room and stood in the middle of the hallway. Suddenly, like he was being unzipped, His chest cavity began to separate, opening down into his gut, and all at once, his insides spilled onto the floor. I sprinted away, down the hall. I need to get out of here before I end up like one of these victims. Somehow, I reached the front lobby. Without hesitation, I headed for the front entrance, but was met with a terrible fate. The front door was barricaded shut. Furniture, hospital equipment, wood and metal thrown into the door, piled like a mountain of chaos. There was no way I was getting out here. Suddenly, from the hallway, I could hear crying, like before. With the barricade against my back, I had nowhere to run. The crying got louder and louder, then stopped. I waited for the person to reveal themselves. There was some movement. And to my surprise, Marcus turned the corner. Marcus? Oh, hey there. Was that you crying? Crying? Yeah, just now, in the hallway. Nope, not me. Well, then who's down there? Listen, I found a way out, but we have to go down into the service tunnels. The service tunnels? Yeah, they connect to all the buildings, and building 5B is the way out. Without waiting, Marcus turned around. Wait, I'm coming! Marcus led me to one of the closed doors. He opened it and revealed a stairwell descending into what looked like a cellar. Come on! 
This way. Marcus ran forward and hurried down the steps. I hesitated for a moment, then followed behind him. At the base of the stairs, I could see that we were in a cement tunnel with low ceilings. It was very hot down here, and like the rest of the hospital, it reeked of rotting flesh. For a moment, I considered turning around back to the lobby, but Marcus was already walking ahead, and I definitely didn't want to lose him down here. Following Marcus, we took a left, then a right, then another right, then turn after turn zigzagging through the tunnels. He was moving too quickly, and I lost him. Marcus, where are you? This is strange. Should I even be trusting this man? I continued forwards, hoping it was the right direction. The corridor widened up into a larger area, like a subway tunnel. Still drenched with the putrid smell and sweltering heat, it was difficult to stay focused on where I was going or where I had come from. I rounded a corner and my light caught movement. I stopped. Ahead were people, patients, lying on the floor, walking around. I stepped over someone and passed others, each one of them unconcerned that I was even there. Why are these people here? Where did they come from? This hospital isn't operational. I maneuvered in and around each person, most of them wearing hospital gowns, and some naked. Finally, at the end of an entryway, there was a small light hanging over top a door. It was a stairwell leading up. I escalated the stairs, and at the top there was a sign that said, Building 5B. The hallways looked similar to the others, but this one was cleaner. However, still stunk. I progressed through the innards of the building, passing empty rooms and offices, until I came to an office that wasn't empty. The office looked well used with piles of documents and a computer. Looking around, I noticed most of the files were regarding patients' medical history and information on procedures. All around the room hung shadow boxes. Upon closer inspection, I discovered these frames held human body parts. Ears, eyes, fingers, all pinned like butterflies, rotting and mummified. Even worse, some of them looked fresh. I took a closer look at the papers and noticed something interesting. On all the documents, where it said Warden, the name was scratched out, and Marcus Mood was written in place. Christine Arthur, Craniotomy, done by Marcus Mood. Robert Ray, Shock Treatment, by Marcus Mood. Jane Doe, Ice Pick Lobotomy, Marcus Mood, Marcus Mood, Marcus Mood, all written poorly across each page. Hey there. I dropped the pages. I knew you'd make it. He stood in the doorway looked around the room. Nice office. Is it yours? Uh, no. Marcus and I studied each other, none of us making a move. All right, we better get out of here then. Marcus walked out of the office and to the right. I approached the door with a lean, trying to view around the corner. I couldn't see Marcus, but still I stepped into the hallway. Marcus was only a few feet away with his back to me. Marcus, I think... I thought... I thought I could... I could trust you. Marcus, I... I don't understand why so many people are snooping through my stuff. It's my research. I'm in charge. He turned around and faced me, 
hunched over, his hands out to his sides, he slowly began to walk towards me, and I started to back away. What makes you think you can enter my office? What makes you think you can look at my research? His pace quickened. I want to know what's going on in that brain of yours. What were you thinking? Why you think... It's okay. Marcus charged toward me. I turned to run, but ran into an old rusted wheelchair and fell to the floor. Marcus jumped on top of me. We struggled on the ground. I hit him hard in the face, but it had no effect. His face was red, and his eyes bulged from his sockets with excitement. Wouldn't it be great? Your brain will be perfect from my research. I managed to fight him off me, but he quickly got to his feet and pinned me to the ground. Then he reached into his coat and pulled out a large syringe and stabbed it into my neck. I'm so happy you've decided to take part in my research. My vision became dazed. Darkness slid in from the sides. When I awoke, there was a bright light. I couldn't tell where I was, and I couldn't move. Someone was in the room. I could hear them. As my eyes adjusted, I could see it was Marcus looking at different medical tools. Hey there. Glad you're awake. Marcus stepped up to me. I was strapped to a table. The room was flooded. This is the same flooded room as before. I am now the one on the table. Looking around, there were rusted tools and body parts everywhere. Marcus looked over my body with excitement. Please, Marcus, let me go. I'm so excited you decided to visit my hospital. He reached over to my head. Don't worry about the procedure. It's easy. You don't have to do anything. Just lay back and relax. He reached over to my head with a rusted buzz saw. Then I woke up. Psychiatric hospitals, or insane asylums, have long been the setting for horror stories, movies, and books. These stories are tales of horrible atrocities that took place within the walls of these so-called hospitals. But these fictional horror dramas don't come close to the actual horrendous events that took place within the walls of these institutions throughout history. The truth will give you nightmares. One of the first notable horror stories regarding asylums was the film Bedlam, starring Boris Karloff. The movie was based on real events and depicted the horrible conditions within the Bethlehem Royal Hospital located in London, England. The hospital was founded in the early 14th century with the idea to care for people with mental or physical disabilities, with the good intention to help or cure these people. Through history, Bethlehem Hospital was closed, reopened and moved, rebuilt, then rebuilt again. By the late 17th century, it had become well known as a place of horror, with stories of miscare, torture, and bizarre experiments on the patients admitted there. Though some of the first psychiatric hospitals were in England, 
Disturbing stories of asylums throughout history largely stem from the United States. In the early 18th century, there was a societal call for proper care for the mentally ill. Families had help from local doctors or parishes that put together programs for the differently abled. These programs weren't long-term and, unfortunately, mentally disabled people would end up in corrections houses or workhouses. In 1753, the Pennsylvania Hospital opened, one of the first state-run psychiatric hospitals in the United States. And for a while, it was good, despite a few ignorant procedures. The problems began when the population in the United States began to grow. So did the number of patients to each institution. The hospitals became overcrowded and became less of a place of rehabilitation and more of a housing facility. Doctors and staff simply couldn't care for each person. Living conditions became treacherous, and medical procedures were horrible. If you see or are in a hospital in a dream, like I stumbled across in mine, it could mean you are in a transitional period after something in your life didn't go well. Hospitals usually mean a time of healing. However, if you dream of an asylum, this could mean you are under a lot of mental pressure and you are looking for help. If you yourself feel, quote-unquote, insane, this could mean that you are trying to retreat from reality. Psychiatric care was still relatively new during the 18th and 19th century. Some doctors believed that buildup of fluids in the brain caused mental disabilities. And to cure these people, they would just drain their blood. They thought it worked because the patient would become less erratic, but that was mainly because they were too weak from the blood loss. Other doctors believed they were simply incurable. To dream of a doctor may indicate that you feel you are in need of medical help. You may be unaware there is something wrong with you, and your subconscious is trying to tell you to seek help. A doctor named Walter Jackson Freeman II was a neurologist, most known for performing the ice pick lobotomy on patients. Freeman would take an ice pick and insert it into the patient's frontal lobe through the eye socket. He would then swish the ice pick back and forth, tearing up the front of the brain. It was to his understanding that this would cure the patient of mental illness. In reality, it would just leave them paralyzed, devoid of personality, comatose, or dead. Freeman would travel the United States doing ice pick lobotomies in different hospitals, or even in people's homes all the way up to the mid-1940s, traveling almost like a circus sideshow. Some of his procedures were even filmed and are available to watch. To be experimented on in a dream could mean that you feel like you're being counterproductive in your waking life, or that you aren't living up to your own expectations. It could also mean that you feel you are at the mercy of someone else controlling your life. It's easy to assume that these doctors didn't know what they were doing over a hundred years ago, when psychiatric research was in its infancy, and for lack of a better word, medieval. But things still weren't perfect in the not-so-distant past. In 1942, the Willowbrook State School, located in Staten Island, New York, opened its doors to help intellectually disabled children. It was set to house 4,000 patients but by the mid-1960s, it had over 6,000 patients. It was the largest state-run institution for mentally disabled people in the United States, 
1969, due to government cutbacks and lack of funding, Willowbrook laid off 600 employees. In 1972, additional government cutbacks caused another 200 staff members to be laid off. At the time, the patient-to-staff ratio was 40 patients to one nurse or doctor practitioner. With this huge gap in care, patients were neglected, abused, and forgotten. Kids slept in beds shoved next to each other, most of them walked around naked, and feeding times per child was reduced from 30 minutes to 2 minutes. Most of the time, the patients ate their food off the floor. There was a 100% chance for a new admittance to contract hepatitis A within the first six months of arriving. Robert Kennedy referred to the institute as a snake pit. In 1972, an investigative reporter did an expose on the conditions and scandals of the school and caused a huge upheaval in the country and a push for change. In 1987, the Willowbrook State School finally closed. After its closure, the institution sat vacant. Its huge, archaic buildings, empty of the horrors it once held. Soon after, rumors and legend filled the community, saying that the grounds were haunted. Boy Scouts used to tell stories of a man living in the old asylum who would steal children and take them back. They called him Cropsy. There were different versions of Cropsy. Some say he had a hook for a hand, and others said that he was a monster or boogeyman stalking people in the woods. Most say he was an old patient of the Willowbrook State School who never left. These modern-day campfire folk tales were good fuel to scare your friends. Unfortunately, they were true. In 1988, Andre Rand was arrested and charged with the kidnapping and first-degree murder of Jennifer Schweiger. He is also in connection with the disappearance of 7-year-old Holly Ann Hughes and 11-year-old Thaisa Jackson. Jennifer Schweiger's body was found in a shallow grave on the Willowbrook State School grounds. Andre Rand is Cropsey. He had been using the old Willowbrook buildings and tunnel systems connecting them for what police and neighbors think were satanic rituals. To dream about tunnels like the ones I had to travel through within my nightmare could mean you were exploring new parts of your subconscious and you were opening yourself up to a brand new awareness. It could also mean that you are limited by tunnel vision and being closed-minded. In my opinion, the people within the tunnel in my nightmare are old parts of myself that I have forgotten or left behind. Crazy ideas, or possibly old anxieties. Cropsey, or Andre Rand, was a former custodian at Willowbrook. So he was familiar with the grounds, allowing him to know where to go at ease. What's even more interesting is that while Rand was growing up, his mother was committed to the Pilgrim State Hospital in Brentwood, New York. The building at Pilgrim State was exactly the same as Willowbrook, and Andre Rand spent a considerable amount of time there as a child visiting his mother. It's as if he lived most of his life in that building, slowly becoming insane himself. To me, the man in my dream, Marcus Mood, was some sort of cropsy figure. Odd at first, then a full-on monster by the end of the nightmare. Could Marcus be a part of my own subconscious? Could he be there now, locked in a padded room? 
waiting to break out. Being locked in a padded room in a dream could mean you are feeling restrained and restricted, or possibly someone or something in your life is restricting you. In my dream, I fought him, and he won. This could mean I am having negative thoughts about certain aspects of my life, and they are becoming more and more frequent, and I myself am fighting to stay positive. Humanity has made some bad decisions in the past, but we learn from our mistakes and grow individually and as a species. It is good to know that since all of these atrocities link to hospitals, asylums, and institutions, we now have great, smaller programs helping those who are differently abled, caring for each individual person. This story was written by me, Charlie Conlon. Marcus Mood was voiced by Dylan Bain and audio editing by Daniel Jaworski. I hope you enjoyed this scary story. Email the podcast at knowingmynightmares at gmail.com to send me your terrifying nightmares. I want to hear them. Rate and follow the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me at KMN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram for all things nightmarish. And remember, if things get too scary, you can always wake up.